All right. Greetings and welcome to Just My Opinion. I am your host, Ken Lambert. And this is our Sunday Wire for February 7th, 2021. Super Bowl Sunday. All right, so uh, we got a lot going on uh, this Sunday. So uh, let's uh, just try, try to move right into our first item. All-nighter. The Senate pulled an all-nighter from uh, Thursday at 2.30 p.m. to Friday uh, at 6 a.m. Their mission was to push through the latest stimulus bill, uh, but the Republicans using uh, a Senate procedure, uh, they kept adding amendments uh, to force a vote on every section of the bill. A majority leader, or a minority leader, uh, Mitch McConnell, said that uh, that he would have every senator on record for uh, everything they're voting for for every part of this bill. You know, parts of the bills were uh, to stop the, the Keystone Pipeline, fracking ban, you know, stimulus money for uh, illegal immigrants, and an increase in the, on the minimum wage. In the end, the bill passed uh, 51 to 50, uh, with Vice President Harris casting the deciding vote. In the all-night session, uh, there was 41 votes taken. Now, uh, each senator will have to face their voters on how they voted, and uh, well, we'll see how that all works out. All right, let's move on to our next item. Spy Bank. This week it was revealed that the, the Bank of America secretly turned over uh, customer data uh, to the FBI. The FBI requested the data from uh, uh, the, uh, following the attack on the Capitol building on January 6th. And the Bank of America shared the information without the knowledge or consent of their customers uh, and did so without the use of a warrant. So just that we're, so that we're clear, uh, these private records of people who haven't committed a crime uh, with no proof that they had anything to do with what happened uh, at the Capitol building, um, and they fit a very vague blanket profile. So there you go, friends. Uh, one of the country's uh, largest banks is now in the spy business. You know, I'm not a lawyer, but that sounds like it could possibly be a class action suit. You know, at least people should uh, pull their money and business out of this bank uh, ASAP. All right, let's move on to our next item. Green's deal. Freshman representative uh, Margie Taylor Green, uh, representative of Georgia, was stripped of her committee assignments on Thursday because of some remarks she made in the past. Eleven Republicans turned their back on Green, saying that her remarks were uh, irresponsible and inflammatory speech. The House voted uh, 230 to 199 to remove Green from her committee assignments. 
Green's comments uh, supported uh, QAnon conspiracy and uh, social media activity, which uh, she expressed support for violence against Democratic leaders. You know, some Republicans did come to Green's uh, defense saying that the Democrats didn't act the same way when uh, similar things were done by people in their own party. You know, for example, uh, Representative uh, Elian Omar uh, made some anti-Semitic remarks. And at the time, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, said, let's move on. So once again, the the scales of justice uh, don't weigh, uh, weigh fair for all. So let's move on to our next item. Big Wheeler. NFL offensive lineman Chad Wheeler was arrested Tuesday for uh, domestic violence against his girlfriend. Apparently, it took three Washington State state troopers to subdue the six foot seven, three hundred and twelve pound uh, lineman, uh, who w- reportedly was uncooperative. In a statement, the the trooper said that they tried to taser Wheeler, but uh, seemed to have no effect on him at, at all. And at one point, uh, the three troopers were on top of Wheeler, who was on the ground. Well, with a combined weight of about 700 pounds, and Wheeler was lifting him up in the push-up position. Finally, uh, Wheeler was arrested uh, for first-degree domestic violence, unlawful imprisonment, and resisting arrest. The NFL has said in a statement that the Seattle Seahawks have cut Wheeler from their team. It's just so sad that another uh, NFL uh, player is in trouble for domestic violence. And uh, I think the, the state of Washington should recognize these three tr- uh, state troopers for bringing this mountain of a man in, in. Good Lord. All right, let's uh, move on to our next uh, segment, which is a new one for us on our Sunday Wire. Uh, this new segment is called Jeremy's Modest Opinion with uh, Jeremy Baudet hosting that part of it. And on his uh, first installment, Jeremy uh, gives us a a two-part letter to uh, to the government on student loan debt. Here's part one. An open letter to my government on student loan forgiveness. Dear Mr. President, Majority Leader Schumer, Speaker Pelosi, and all the other members of Congress that have taken the time to highlight and offer solutions to help those dealing with student loan debt. There's only one appropriate way to start any response to someone that wants to pay $50,000 of your student loan debt. Thank you. Thank you for highlighting the impact that student loan debt has on many young people throughout the country. Thank you for talking about the negative impacts it has on our economy and our society as a whole. Thank you for offering one possible solution— that would most certainly provide some relief to many Americans who would really appreciate it right now. I, like many Americans I imagine, have a complex relationship with my college experience. On the one hand, I love my alma mater dearly. It's why I have such a strong appreciation for Shakespeare. It was where I learned the virtues of hard work, dedication, and delayed gratification. 
It was where I developed many of the communication skills that I use each day in my personal and professional life. It's where I developed leadership skills that help me be a better husband, father, brother, son, and colleague. It was where I learned lessons about victory and defeat, success and failure, love and heartbreak, that I'll be able to share with my children and grandchildren for the rest of my life. It's where I met and got to know some of the best people in the world, who I can honestly say will be my friends for my whole life, regardless of money or status or geography. But it's also why I've had a hard time sleeping for a lot of the last decade. It's why I never even tried to go to law school, even though I wanted to. It's why I had to ask my wife to return to work after our daughter was born, even though I knew she didn't want to. It's why we had to move halfway across the country, away from all the family and friends we'd ever known. It's why we were a one-car family for the first five years of our marriage. It's why I've stayed at jobs that make me miserable for much longer than I should. It's why we hardly ever travel or go on vacation. My college debt is a constant cloud that shadows every experience of my life, good and bad. While shopping, I think we can never buy name brand. On the rare occasion of a vacation, I think maybe we should only go out to eat once. At Christmas, I think, is everyone going to get a present this year? My wife and kids asked me to buy a pet, and I think we already have two pets, Navient and American Education Services, and they must be fed their $1,500 each month just to keep them happy. When I graduated college in May of 2010, I left with $125,633.74 of debt for my bachelor's degree. And now, after over 10 years of hard work, sacrifice, and consistent payments, I can proudly say that I still owe $87,340.88. That means that, on average, over the last 10 years, of the over $1,500 I pay each month, less than 320 of it has gone to reduce my debt. Where the rest went, I can't tell you. Now don't get me wrong, my family and I live good lives and we like it. Our lives far better than most get. When it's hot out, we're cool. And when it's wet out, we're dry. When it's cold out, we're warm. And when we're hungry, we eat. When my kids get sick, they go to the doctor, just like everyone else. I'm not telling you all this so you can hear me complain and feel sorry for us. It's so that you'll believe me when I tell you that I've spent the last 10 years of my life seriously considering the offer of having most of my student debt paid for me. Our lives are good, but they could be much better without my student debt burden. So in response to your generous proposal to forgive $50,000 of my student loan debt, I'll say this. Thanks, but no thanks. One of the things I've learned a lot about over the last 10 years is debt. I've learned about getting into debt and paying off debt. I've learned how to avoid debt when I can and minimizing it when I can't. I've become an expert in the field of my own debt. I've also learned that as a country, we're in a mountain of debt. And our debt is still heading in the wrong direction. The sad, hard truth is that we, as a country, do not have the money to pay for your generous plan without accumulating more debt. I'd never pay my college debt down with a personal loan or a credit card, and neither should our country. Sure. At first it would feel good, seeing all those zeros and getting the payoff notices. 
We may even go out to eat at a fancy restaurant or take a family trip to a theme park to celebrate. But after a month or two, reality would move back in and the debt would be back. Except this time, it would come with even higher interest rates and even more family sacrifices just to make ends meet. Even worse than that, your proposal would mean that my friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, and fellow citizens, people that I've never met and will never meet, would have to help pay for my debt and my education. That's a debt that they never signed up for, for an education they never received, and experiences they never got, and for skills they never developed. I'd never pay my college debt with a personal loan, but I'd certainly never ask my friends, family, colleagues, or complete strangers, especially those who chose not to go to college themselves, to co-sign for a personal loan. I, like many Americans, I'm sure, have worked hard these past 10 years to develop a reputation as a person who works hard, fulfills my promises, faces the truth, even when it's difficult, and pays my debts. By accepting this proposal, I'd be throwing all of that hard work and sacrifice away. I'd be transferring my burden onto my friends, my family, my children, my future grandchildren, and my fellow American citizens. This cannot be an option for me. I watched Majority Leader Schumer's press conference announcing the proposal on February 4th. Many of the people at the press conference made some great points, and I believe much of what they said. I'm not a minority, but I believe them when they tell me that minorities, especially first-generation college-educated minorities, are disproportionately impacted by student loan debt. I believe that student loan debt is an anchor holding many in our society back. I believe that many young people were misled by educators, colleges, the media, and society at large into believing that a college education was the only way. I think it's also radically unfair and un-American whenever big banks or airlines or auto companies get bailed out by the government for bad choices that they make. But none of these truths changes the fundamental truth at the root of this issue. I chose to attend college and receive an education. I signed an agreement to have somebody else pay for that education up front. I made a promise to pay that money back plus interest, for as long as it takes until my debt is reduced to zero. I could have made better choices, choices that very likely would not have resulted in the debt that I carry with me today. I could have chosen to live at home and spend my first two years at a local community college. I could have transferred to a, a state school that would have charged me far less, and I still could have lived with my parents to do it. I could have joined the military and served my country, after that, I would have received a college education at no cost, or very close to no cost. I could have chosen a major that was in the hard sciences that would have put me in a better position to find a good-paying job. But alas, I didn't. And now, like many Americans, I imagine, I must pay all that debt back. I signed the promissory notes. I got the education and the experiences. So I'm going to be the one to pay for it. Not my fellow citizens... Not my friends and family, not my kids and grandkids, just me. I'm going to be better, even if it takes another 10 or 20 years to do it. Some things are more important than money and vacations and Christmas gifts, and this is one of them.
As my mother taught me very early on in life, two wrongs don't make a right. So unlike the big banks and airlines and auto companies, I'll be saying thanks, but no thanks to your proposal. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, We'll have part two next Sunday. And now for my final thoughts of the day. Wisconsin uh, sixth graders in uh, Patrick Marsh Middle School were given an odd assignment as part of uh, Black History Month. They were asked to write a paper on uh, the topic, How Would You Punish a Disobedient Slave? The example that was uh, given, if the slave disrespected his master by saying, you are not my master. There, the students were told, uh, according to ancient law called uh, Hemorabali, uh, the slaves would be the slave would have been executed. Now, um, I've had some odd assignments uh, when I was in school, but this one is a little extreme, if you ask me. You know, why not have the kids focus on, you know, the positive of black history? You know, for example, I think that uh, the kids would be delighted to know that uh, just how many African-American inventors there have been. You know, such as uh, Garrett Morgan, who invented uh, the three-light traffic light in 1923. Frederick McKinley who invented the, the refrigerator truck in 1940, or Alexander Miles, who invented the, the automated elevator door in 1887. Did you know that James E. West co-invented the electric uh, microphone in 1964, which is still used today in many phones and tablets? And what about uh, Louis Litmer, who invented the, the, the carbon, light, uh, carbon light bulb filament in 1886? You know, and there's many more, you know, like Granville T. Woods, who invented the telegraph. George Washington Carver, who invented peanut butter. And Madam uh, C.J. Walker, uh, was the first African-American uh, self-made millionaire who claimed, uh, accumulated m- much of her fortune in hair products. You know, and the list just goes on and on and on. There are just so many great stories to be told about uh, African-Americans, you know, as, such as Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, uh, Thurgood Marshall, Muhammad Ali, Jackie Robinson, Hank Aaron... You know, even Oprah Winfrey and Quincy Jones. You know, uh, the the list just goes on and on and on. You know, Black History Month is a celebration. So why focus on the negative? We always spend so much time uh, looking at the bad side of things. You know, think about this, my friends. Every person that I have mentioned has done what they have done in in the greatest country in the world the United States of America. But that's just my opinion. What do I know? And that's our Sunday Wire for this week. Email us and let us know what you think. 
at jmo2kel at gmail.com. That's jmo, the number two, kel at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Ken Lambert.